Welcome to the Law Firm Growth Podcast, where we share the latest tips, tactics, and strategies for scaling your practice from the top experts in the world of growing law firms. Are you ready to take your practice to the next level? Let's get started. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Law Firm Growth Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Jan Roos, and I'm here with returning guest, one of my favorite dudes to talk to in the space, Mr. Charlie Mann. Charlie, thanks for coming back. Jan, the feeling is mutual. I'm excited to be reconnected with you. You know, a while back, we had you speak uh, for our Hero Accelerated group, and I still, to this day, reference the piece of advice that you gave them, which is, if you're closing 100%, that's a bad thing. And like that, that <laughs> you know, the whole room got quiet and listened carefully, like you should be closing 70, 80%, or you're not trying to pursue your greatest level of success. So still echoes of Jan live within the program. <laughs> Thanks, Jan. I appreciate that. So for everyone who didn't listen to our first podcast, Charlie is the CEO of great legal marketing. One of the things I really love about his approach is he takes an awesome look at the different stages that people go to in a way that I haven't really seen anyone talk about. But um, yeah, just kind of as far as uh, for anyone, just a little quick reintroduction for the people who, who don't recognize you, Charlie. Yeah, absolutely. So at this point now, I have been working in, on, with, and for law firms for the past 13 years. And over the last five years, predominantly as a mastermind and private coach for law firm owners and uh, some of their marketing directors, focusing on exactly what you just referenced, Jan, which is overcoming the kind of growth hurdles as the path changes for an owner along the way, marketing path, management path, leadership path, and how those evolve for folks. And you and I were talking beforehand, I also have a podcast out now, they don't teach this in law school that we launched last year that, you know, we're, we're following the lead of folks like you and enjoying the podcast space. Highly recommended follow, by the way, I listen to it every week. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, awesome. So and then just as far as kind of that, we were talking a little bit about the pre chat. And this is something yeah. that we kind of discovered we're both having a I mean, wouldn't say a situation, but it's something that's kind of front of mind for, for both of us right now. So I wanted to talk about something. And it's one of my favorite topics, because you really can't grow out of it. But the fear of getting to the next level, and mm. the crazy things that people do to avoid doing it. So how's this kind of been showing up in, in your practice recently, Charlie? Yeah, it's really cool. There's a guy, uh, Jay Henderson, a real talent hiring, great hiring guru. And in the profiles that he creates, I'll never forget the first time that I saw the phrase fear of success and quickly internalizing that. There's a lot of people who have a fear of failure, but there are other folks who deal with a fear of success. And a lot of times when I'm coaching someone, what it often has to do with is I managed to double my firm, right? Like I moved from 400000 to $800,000 a year in revenue, which you and I know that really the journey, like a million dollars, it's mostly a marketing journey journey, marketing, sales, pricing type of journey that goes into there. And then suddenly they're cresting towards that seven figure. And you and I are telling them like, okay, now before we move this thing to $2 million, you have to get your systems down. And they go, ah, but system, <laughs> no, thank you. Right? No, thank you. And they keep saying, well, I'm going to, instead, I'm going to keep altering my prices. I'm going to keep tweaking the sales process. And you're saying, no, you have to let other people do that. You now have to lead in a different space of their practice. Some people freak out because they now have to transition as the owner into this new like mental state. I have to learn a new skill set. You and I know it's hard enough to learn marketing and sales. And then we're telling them, hey, okay, make that someone else's problem. You need now to have a playbook for your marketing and sales. And you now need to focus on getting your operations right. Because otherwise, if we keep cranking this up, and you were telling me a little story about this, if we keep cranking up like the number of appointments and everything, you're going to freak out and go, eh, never mind, turn everything off. Like that's kind of what you were telling me. 
Yeah. I mean, there's so many different ways this happens too. It's like, and I've been using this metaphor recently of like, um, this is, this is from Batman, but whatever. It's like the Joker has this line where he's like, Heck yes. like a, I'm like a dog chasing a car. I wouldn't know what to do if I caught it. Uh, but yeah. it's honestly, it's like that. So it's like, you know, I have these situations and, and I got to blame people who do marketing and I'm you know, honestly probably partially responsible for this stuff to be like, oh yeah, I get this XYZ retainers, XYZ consults. And people are just like, yeah, great. That's awesome. But like, okay, well, let's think about what your calendar looks like then. Not only for taking those calls, but fulfilling on those calls. And then sometimes you catch the proverbial car and then you're like, damn it, I got 50 consultations to take care of in the next three months. I realized three weeks. And like, I mean, I can think about a situation and this is, um, you know, this is, this is one still a client awesome guy but this poor dude he ended up having the situation where uh he did he did a huge step up he went from you know going to his first live seminars and this guy crushes he's electric he's awesome on stage and he booked like 40 consultations in a three event series badass but you know, I checked in with him and like, I just wasn't able to follow up with him for the next like week. And like my whole team was reaching out. We're like, dude, is he alive? Is he dead? I finally got the guy on the phone and I'm like, dude, what's been going on? It's like, man, this is crazy. I've been making the most money I've ever made in my life. But like, I'm working weekends. I'm here at 10 PM at like the night. I'm like, dude, you must be like losing weight. He's like, no, I'm gaining weight. And he burned himself out. And unfortunately, like, he, you know, he had a new staff member that was in the middle of the chaos and quit on week two. So now it just, it was an absolute nightmare. So it was like it was like this weird monkey's paw of getting his dream and having it turn around so crazily on him but that's just one example there's a lot of other ways that we've seen it to do it but it's just like yeah sometimes the worst thing you can do is get what you want so two things one love the monkey's paw reference yeah it's one of my favorite phrases but it's so funny Jan, that you talk about the joker quote catching the car because no joke working with private clients over the last week and a half three times i have referenced there's a cartoon strip i think it was like a marmaduke cartoon strip where it shows a car that's flipped over and like marmaduke the dog is next to it there's a couple of people in the foreground and the caption underneath is something like now that he's caught it he doesn't know what to do with it so it's amazing <laughs> that you just busted that out from the joker side i got my batman stuff right back there <laughs> nice <laughs> So we're thinking the same thing. And that's so accurate where if you as a law firm owner don't understand oftentimes like you're the promise and opportunity of growing the firm, if all it is is like, okay, let's double this thing, right? Let's go from 400,000 to 800,000 or 800,000 to 1.6 million, 1.6 to 3.2. If all it is is like a financial number and you don't start by looking ahead towards the freedom that you can gain in the practice. You don't start looking forward to elevating from, and I have these stages of growth that I talk about, elevating from like a solo to supported solo to matriarch, patriarch, moving up to leader of leaders, become or captain of the ship, then leader of leaders, then CEO. And each of these is like a different stage along the way. If you don't get excited by what you can let go of, you're going to freak out about success. And there are some people, and this is really interesting, had clients who will tell me very honest things. I had a private client who told me that basically we got him up from, he had been doing 280 per year. He's going to hit about half a million this year. And the biggest thing that's freaking him out is he's now starting to make more money than his dad ever made. Mm. And his dad was this huge figure in the community. And it caused this like kind of stopping point around $400,000 per year. It was really hard for him to get over because he knew his dad had basically maxed out over there. And his dad was so well respected in the community, but wasn't necessarily a great business person. So there's that weird mix of, am I allowed to go beyond that. And they start fearing that level of success because of this weird psychological hangup that they have.
Yeah. I'm sure there's probably some like flavor of the like, yeah, like, you know, am I doing something nefarious to pre- break this or something? Because it's like, yeah. you know, it's the it's the inverse of all the BS that his dad probably told him that kept him at the revenue level that he was at and pass on to his kids. But like when you have that kind of a psychological hang up, like how do you begin to help somebody with that? So two things. One, you know, the the coaching that I do, I like to say, you know, coaching is about the future. Therapy is about the past. Mm. I actually will re- tell clients that if they do no have kidding. those, yeah, they should they should go and work with a therapist, right? In addition to working with a coach, because there's some stuff that they kind of, they got to crack open and, you know, we're, we'll talk about some of it. But I think the respectful thing to do as a coach is when you feel like this is deeper than I am equipped to handle, that you refer them to the proper professional for it. But with some folks, if it's just the general hang up of like, oh, you know, there's an attorney, because that's like the dad thing, right? That's yeah. deep. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, oh, there's this attorney, you know, William such and such, who's a really important attorney in the community. And like, I don't know, he seems to be doing well. And it seems weird that I would have a bigger practice. The thing that we focus on is getting them back to the basics, which is, you know, Jan, do you believe that you do really good work for a select group of people who are the perfect match for your practice? And they go, yeah, I mean, we're really good at such and such. Great. Right now, are those are 100% of those people showing up at your law firm? Well, no, not 100%. Then we have a moral responsibility to go and find those people and to put messages and opportunities for them that connect them with your law firm. And that's also like with the big marketing journey, right? Of knowing your avatar, knowing your ideal client and being super committed to serving those people. And it, it definitely helps with lawyers to focus on that concept of service, even if it's service for the sake of generating commercial success, because that's something I remember, Jan, going to the convocation at one of the DC law schools and listening to the speaker hammering home all the stereotypical things that, you know, the clients that you have, the clients that I have here, which is like, you know, you're a servant to the client for the rest of your life. Um, You will always put the client first. The law is a jealous mistress. All the tropes were just laid out there in front of everyone. And I'm sitting there and, you know, Ben's there and a couple other folks are there and we're all going, oh, these poor new law school graduates, right? They're getting really mixed messages because they're going to go out into a world where a good amount of money is made, but they've just been told about all this service. So they're going to become really obsessed with like, I have to crank up my levels of service and give everything that I have and leave nothing left for me to earn the money responsibly. Mm -hmm. It can be crippling at times. Yeah, it's kind of funny. I've been using this phrase a little bit on some of our, uh, like, this is mostly for like consultation. We talked with my reps about this stuff. But it's like, you know, there's a lot of people that are, are running uh, pro bono practices <laughs> that they don't even realize, right? <laughs> yeah. And I honestly think like, if you have the situation and like, this isn't just lawyers, this is business owners. Like if you have the situation where the only way that the business gets done is, is if you're working way more and your hourly rate is $700.25, then you don't actually have a business. And I think there's like this little trap. And like, I think I tend to see it where we have a situation where people have just been solo for a really long time. They're just not getting any momentum on these things. And like the counterpoint to this, and like, you know, I'm sure you probably tell people the same thing, Charlie, but just like, you know, who's getting a better level of service, the solo who's working on your case at 10 p.m. on a Saturday, or the seven figure firm that's got a dedicated associate that's looking at this and is going to answer your call five days a week, right? It's just like, you're actually doing better by your client by building that profit. But like, I mean, among other things, a lot of people just don't ask for the damn money. Oh my gosh. Asking for the money, like it freaks people out so much. So in, in like, uh, like the accelerated group that you spoke to, pricing is huge. 
And it's the, the question that always kind of gets thrown out to them is someone will say like, oh, you know, I do estate plans and I might ask, okay, what's your average client value? And they'll toss out a number like, oh, you know, $1,800. And I just kind of turn and like walk away for a little bit, <laughs> yeah. let the room yell at them for a while. And really going, the work that you're doing, you know, hourly rate, do you think that what you're doing is worth more than $1,800 to those people? The answer is always yes. Do you think that it's worth at least $4,000, $5,000 to those people? The answer is always yes. We have a rule about price jumps in the group, which is you don't do a price jump that's less than 20% first off, because we have people who are like, oh, I'm going to raise prices by 5% or like 50%, but no less than 20%. Because you know the reason to work with like a coach or a mastermind or working with like a, a team like yours is we're all going to say, look, here's 82 people who made this exact price jump and it worked out for all 82. Mm-hmm. It's astonishing how that ends up working. But there are some hangups for, for money that they carry with them that I'm sure you guys deal with when you're trying to like make sure they're going to get a good return on investment when in working with case fields, like, well, you can't be doing $250 power of attorney things for the rest of your life. Like, yeah, it's not part of it. No, it's so true. And like the other thing too, just it's one of these, like, I mean, I think fear of success and pricing, it's like one of the most like bare metal opportunities for this too. Cause it's just like, I mean, this is the pattern that we've always seen. Just like, I, and I always try to tell people like, you know, you raise your prices, throw a thousand dollars, throw $2,000 on top of it. I guarantee the first person that says yes, you are never going to charge what you're charging again today. It's a ratchet. <laughs> right. You're not going to move it down. But like, yeah. if I can bring in kind of a weird metaphor for this too, I've just Love like, weird metaphors. Yeah. I just started getting into rock climbing. Climbing. And I haven't talked about this on the podcast yet. Awesome. <laughs> so I was out there on the wall. Just there's some really good climbing walls out here in Austin. I got some friends. I'm super lucky that are way stronger climbers than me. And it's kind of funny because we're all climbing the same walls. And what they're able to get like, a, you know, a little bit of a toe on and press off of with extreme confidence is stuff that I'm like, I'm stepping on glass here. Like, I don't know what to do. It. And it's <laughs> like the difference is like people don't realize. I think there's a delta between like what you can do and what you think you need to make the ask. And, you know, as I've kind of explored this thing with climbing too, just like, you know, from a physical perspective, you know, past the first couple things with finger strength and stuff, the best guys in the world, it's not that they're all, you know, jacked gorillas and not that it'll hurt, but like, you know, it's it's really more of a confidence thing than anything else. Pricing is the same thing. People, sometimes they need to think that they're the best attorney in the state and whatever, they have 90,000 years of experience and blah, 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 before they can raise their rates. But it's just like, you know, sometimes just having a better conversation than the guy down the street, which isn't a high bar to, <laughs> to jump, by the way, is enough to be able to charge that much. And people just don't take the step. And it's so hard to show people sometimes. So I recently watched a video that was Alex Honnold took uh, Magnus Mitbo on a free solo climb. And it was Magnus's first free solo climb that he's done. It was up this, you know, fairly long range, but Alex had, and most people know Alex Honnold from the documentary Free Solo, being the first person to free solo El Capitan in Yosemite. Truly an amazing documentary, though my heart nearly left out. (laughs) Uh, But he's showing it, he's, he's, he's offering that confidence of, oh, you don't have to worry about this. Oh, yeah, yeah, hey, by the way, this is the point that you're supposed to kick your shoes off and we're just going to hang out here because you got these tight shoes on. Don't worry about that so much. Take them off. We'll hang out. And Magnus the whole time is freaking out because obviously the consequences are dire, but Alex has all the calm and confidence in the world to get him going. And what he does is he kind of tricks Magnus in a way to climb the first, say, 30 yards or so, at which point you're basically at a lethal height. 
So it's, you've made the first 30 yards, you didn't die, let's keep going now. And it is like that thing with the price. I love that ratchet statement that you made, Jan, where it is, once you go there, you're not, you don't pull back from there. You just keep on climbing and it will always, you will always deal with degrees of fear. So there are times where Magnus hits into like a flow state while he's going up and he's not as worried and he's excited. And then all of a sudden it sets in, right? Like, oh my gosh, I recognize what I'm doing here, which that is business in general. It's, whoa, I just realized that there's no like floor for me on this thing. It all feels like it could drop off. But the truth is, is like, if you are an attorney who has started their own law firm, as you start to grow, you really are setting a floor for yourself. You just don't perceive it. Though folks like you and me, Jan, we see that floor because we've worked with literally hundreds of lawyers and seen how solid the ground is beneath them. And that's why it is important to work with teams and communities where you have that type of backstop, where everyone's going, keep climbing, keep climbing. There's no reason to just stay afraid where you're at. Keep climbing. Yeah, 100%. And I'm glad you brought that one up because I was going to say, it's just like, this is kind of a phenomenon I see sometimes. And it just, you know, it's obviously easier if, if you're not in the community to get in this point too, but like there's this really lethal combo that I've seen where mm. it's people that are making a step up in terms of the marketing. I think the most vulnerable part for this that we observe is going from referrals to marketing of some sort. So, mm -hmm. and I've tried to get better over the years to set expectations that it's not going to be a cakewalk for these folks. But if they're in the situation where they're doing something new, they're not a rock star at it. They're used to closing 80, 90% of their referrals. Then they start and, and you're talking to clients and you know, hopefully you're talking to clients every other day or every day, you start to believe what the clients are saying, which is like, what? I don't want to pay this much. Or like, how, like, you know, why should I pay this? And yeah. then you start to believe it. So it's like, it's tough. And you know, we're social creatures. People are going to, you know, you're going to, if you hear something 10 times a week, you're going to start believing it no matter, but it's like, you have to find that counterbalance of, you know, the people who are, you know, you got to get the people who are doing the same on the same side of the table you are. Cause if you're not, then you're just going to fit, you know, you're just going to start thinking like a prospect. And that's what, you know, causes a lot of people mm. to keep their prices where they are or not raise them or think they're not worth it. But it's not because of the values there. It's in my opinion, the communication, the value, but like, yeah, it's, it's a tough place to be. So how do you and your team help people in that moment? It's tough. So, okay. There's two, there's a good way. And then there's a paradox. Uh, <laughs> The good way is to say, all right, here's the deal. And, you know, I host a call every Monday with our private, uh, with our marketing clients where they, they can come on. There's all the, you know, we got as, as many closers as we want on, the, on, on there. Everyone who comes there to ask closing questions. And I rap, we got some of the guys that are awesome. We got some former podcast guests that, that are on there offering the attorney side of the perspective. And we just work through these problems. So I always think that's like a good jolt of good energy. The tough thing, and this is the paradox, is that if they don't get into that soon, then it's hard to get them onto that. And it's like sort of like, there's this kind of guilt that that builds up, I think. So it's like the possibility for the mindset to go in a bad direction gets like, you know, it's there's this, <laughs> it's another metaphor you'll, you'll dig. But um, somebody told me like, you know, especially with, with sales stuff, it's just like, you know, if you're, if the rocket's off by one degree, you're not landing on the moon, you're landing on Mars. And if that's off by one degree and we're, you know, catching that in the first week, you know, boom, easy, get your mind, do this, ask for the money, don't say yes to the later, et cetera, et cetera. And then you're good. If they go five, 10 consults, then they've already 
started developing a pattern of what to expect from this. And that's way harder to get out of. We've made saves, but it's one of those things. And I mean, not to make it too meta, but I, this is the same thing I tell clients on the sales process itself. It is much easier to set an expectation proactively than reactively. You know, it's really hard to say, oh man, well, you should have been doing this. And then you're just thinking this like, like man like these leads are crap like you know who's 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 buying these uh, but again you know when they're in week one there's everyone so oh i closed this i closed that whatever it's like you know you at least have that proof positive of the other side not to mention the actual tactical stuff that you can bring to bear in your next consultation but um yeah so long story short i think you gotta get that in-person feedback and the other thing too is like i always like to remind people for like the actual closing stuff really anything in business i think like you just gotta avoid the definition of insanity i think you want to have one thing to do differently just do one thing differently your next consultation and if you're out of moves figure out something that can give you a next one right and it's really just up to you to show up and do what you said to do that's where accountability comes into place there's a lot of ways to do that but um yeah that's it like as long as you're not running your head against a brick wall i think i think anyone can sell i really do I, I totally agree. And actually, a couple of my private clients who are in estate planning have been dealing with, and actually another one in family law, have been dealing with team members who are supposed to quote price who have different relationships to money mm -hmm. than they do, or even a younger estate planning attorney who is just in their journey of accumulating wealth, but they know the smart thing to do is to work with affluent clients who have the money to afford. You know, look, most, a lot of the estate planners I work with, their average fee is 8,000 plus with a nice. new client. Yeah. So, because they, they've moved up that affluence ladder, but they are often find themselves sitting down and talking with people who have more money than them. And they can get in their heads about the idea of, okay, this person has more money, which means that they have more value, more intelligence. It's like, oh, well, no. Most people have more money for one of a few reasons. And one of them is they learn to do something very, very well, and they've done it over a long enough duration that they've accumulated wealth from it. That doesn't mean that they're an expert in estate planning. As a matter of fact, probably one of the traits that they've exhibited to get to the wealth that they have is hiring people who are really good at what they do and trusting them to do it. And that's where you want to sit in. That's the exact pocket you want to be in is the trusted mentor expert provider for them. And what you have in your pockets has nothing to do with what is in their pockets. And once you decouple that, and so when you have those folks, a lot of times I'll refer them to any type of money mindset program. I remember going to a Dan Kennedy seminar on wealth attraction that completely changed the way that I view money, completely changed the way that I charge people. And then there's also some Tony Robbins materials that can be pretty good. But honestly, just if you are the lawyer in the firm who maybe you've owned the firm for 15, 20 years, and you're super comfortable quoting good fees, but you have associates who are having a hard time with it, my recommendation is get someone else to handle talking to those associates because those associates will look at you, the owner, and go like, yeah, but you got it on easy street. You've already made your mint. You're comfortable. When they hear it from someone who is a professional on the money mindset issue, you can see significant change because there's, there's not that same type of excuse available. Yeah, that's fantastic. And kind of on the subject too, and like maybe zooming out a little bit to this greater thing. Mm -hmm. I don't think anyone wakes up and so like, I'm going to go attack my fear of success today. <laughs> I think problem the, pro the problem with it is that it's an invisible problem. But like mm. for the hyper rational listeners who might be in the place, I'll go ahead and say this too. Just like I was literally journaling on this and pulling this up right now. Like, you know, I have stuff in terms of leveling up case fuel that I worry about too. And it's just like, you know, whenever I feel myself personally, it's like if I, I have a lack of energy on doing something like, damn, like, you know, I just, I just like, I got to set some bigger goals for myself. <laughs> like this is, I got to do this. But like what? 
how does this manifest? And like, how are you seeing? Because I mean, I'll say this one thing in, in terms of, and I'm sure you've seen it just like, you know, lawyers tend to be very rational people. You know, a lot of this stuff, you know, there's a lot of folks, I don't think they'd be listening to this podcast for very long, but <laughs> or my, my podcast broadly, if, if they, they were into this stuff, but you know, they're not, they consider some of this stuff touchy feely, but like, where yeah. do these things like, what are some logical symptoms that would betray a fear of success at different levels of the firm? Like what kind of stuff do you see that makes you think we got to, sorry, I got, I mean, this is going to be an E episode. Sorry, guys. <laughs> <laughs> this, what's uh, what are the kind of things that are going to get, you know, that, that things, you know, we, we might want to look at mindset here. Yeah, that's a really good question, Jan. So the easiest way to frame it is to use is to talk about the phrase. Yeah, but you start hearing that phrase a whole bunch. They go, oh, they recognize the intellectual side of an idea that might be proposed, but and here come the list of excuses why it can't be done, right? The rationality kicks in, which as we know, it's rationality supported by an irrational beast that is telling them it can't be done out of some type of fear or a lack of self-worth, et cetera. And it's easier to protect by saying, yeah, 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 yeah. But, and they'll say, yeah, enthusiastically. And they'll mean it. They're really excited by the idea. But then that little creeping sensation that really, you know, it comes from like seated almost right in the diaphragm and creeps up just towards the heart almost. You can feel it, right? And they go, but, you know, I, I don't have, I don't really have that many appointment slots available. When someone starts doing that sort of thing, the question I always want to ask is, I'll just say, great. So how do we fix that and get them working towards a fix as soon as possible? Because now we can rewire or, or re or turn, twist that rational brain and put it to work for problem solving rather than problem creation. And this is the, the gift and curse, as you know very well, of working with lawyers is when your gift is rhetoric. It can be a double-edged sword. That rhetoric can be very for you or it can be very against you. And a lot of times, because humans are status quo, self-preservation critters, we go in that direction of let's avoid the risk to ego. Let's avoid the risk to myself. Let's avoid the financial risk. But look, when you're, when you're an entrepreneur of any kind, in for a penny, in for a pound on it. You know, it's, you've taken it this far. And that's the other thing that when we're dealing with the whole fear of success, when uh, these days when I talk to clients, if they start having those worries and like, yeah, okay, I get it. And maybe we've even walked through how the problem can be solved. And they go, yeah, but here's still like, I'm freaking out about having to make that financial commitment. I'll go, let me ask you this. Did you make it through COVID? Did your law firm make it through COVID? Well, we're talking today. So it did. You've already dealt with a worst of the worst scenario. You've dealt with the country closing down for months. Right now we're talking about hiring two people. And the term in the psychology space, the therapy space, the coaching space is you're catastrophizing what could happen. Something as simple as, uh, and what we'll do then is maybe take the really big problem and shrink it as much as possible. So let's say it's, I'm asking you to go and hire a new attorney because you need either capacity or you need someone else to be selling alongside you. And they go, that's going to cost, you know, let's say 110,000. Oh, I love that. The annualized thinking. <laughs> exactly. You know, right. This is why it's so good talking with you, Jan. And you go, or, or would you pay that person $2,500 for a week? to take that work off of your plate, to do 40 hours worth of generating great contracts, design meetings, uh, sitting down and handling signings. Did you pay $2,500 because then you could actually take on three more appointments that week and sell $15,000, $18,000 more clients? Yeah, yeah. And you understand that you only have to pay $2,500 a week. As a matter of fact, you really only have to pay $500 a day because at any point you can cut this off. Would you be willing to make that investment? 
you know, it's not so scary. It's a tiny little thing. Yes, the annualized is the worst. Yeah, I mean, shoot, why why stop there? I mean, that could be a million dollar investment in ten years, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but uh, I mean, that's it's it's such a powerful thing, and that's a that's a brilliant approach to it too, Charlie. I gotta say, it's like, and somebody ends up getting to the point where they're looking at and they still have a yeah, but then it's just like, okay, at this point, you know, talk to a therapist about your dad. Like, yes. And look, I will say from the point of view as a coach, there are I have worked with a couple of people who managed to yeah, but their way to the relationship with me ending, right? Because if you're going to always be a yeah, but person, I I have like my personal criteria for coaching people. It, it's twofold. One, we achieve your goals. And two, we have to enrich each other's lives. Like to me, that's really, really important because it's a, it's a close, intimate relationship that ultimately goes on. And if you're always coming with yeah, but thinking, you're taking up space of another person who could live in that relationship and provide enrichment. And it's a very selfish thing to say, like enrichment to my life. But, you know, I have... I have two kids, you know, I've got my spouse, we've got stuff going on in our lives. And I could spend the hour working with a yeah, but person, I could spend the hour hanging with my family or spend the hour working with a client who's going to jump by a million dollars this year. And only two of those things excite me. And that's okay. Yeah, yeah 100%. And like also just in terms of like, you know, the impact butterfly effect, it's just like, yeah, you know, you're helping that other person, you're helping everyone else that's in their community, their employees, all that kind of stuff too. So it's a bigger impact for you as well. But um, yeah. yeah, it's kind of, <laughs> it's, it's kind of funny too, like, you know, maybe Maybe not for you, but I, I really kind of wonder about how many people are just paying coaches, professionals, whatever, just to get lip service that their yeah butts are are okay and just like totally. you know, being the paid validation say, retainer. <laughs> yeah, and uh, look, I'll, I'll say you mentioned earlier, like you shared the you have things where you hit your fear of success. I have things where I hit my fear of success, where I'm questioning or second guessing, like what would it mean to be at that next level? Like it might mean my relationship with certain levels of clients might not be as close, and does that freak me out? Is that going to prevent me from the next stage of growth? And all of us have that type of yeah, but thinking at some point, and none of us are at all immune to it. It's just it's the other side of things, which I think we might've talked about a little bit on the other episode, which is understanding fundamentally. And this is where, oh wait, no, before I do that, the whole idea of uh, retaining someone to tell you it's all okay, right? Yeah. I will admit there are times when I have in the past where I have done that with clients and my first concern was, okay, I, I want them to feel okay, as opposed to making sure that there's some type of pushing going on. And sometimes it comes from a good place, like, the, or at least in my head, I was rationalizing it as mm. if I could provide some level of psychological safety for them, it will be easier to make the leap. But if you continue to allow for that space and you are exactly like you said, right, you just, you're a retained uh, yes man. <laughs> that you really aren't serving the person. I see this happen uh, these days where a lot of people are just kind of saying, oh, I'm a coach now, or hey, I'm starting a mastermind group. And it's more of a cash in than a, I, ha I am driven to lead. I am driven to push others around me. And I would be uncomfortable letting people stay comfortable uh, as opposed to trying to push the room. But yeah, there's that whole yeah, but space. You have to learn how to break people of it. Yeah. I and mean, it's like, an, it's a never ending thing too. And it's just like, you know, you, you only have to stop worrying about that when you're stopped worrying about growth. And that's, that's kind of the thing. It's just like the, the level is, you know, you can go as high as you want to in, in mm -hmm. your law firm or anything that you want to do in life. And it's just like, you have to keep, and I think one of the, the key things too, and you mentioned this earlier is like, you got to resell yourself on what you're doing this for sometimes and, yes. and kind of speaking at like some of these levels and like, 
when you get to, I think like past the point where you've made your first couple hires, like, you know, there's a really tough transition for like, okay, I'm a solo with no expenses to now I'm paying for employees and marketing in the office and stuff like that. So your profitability is less than a hundred percent. Like once you take that step, it's like, you might as well go all the way through the valley and the other end. Cause then now you're the guy, the guy who can take six week vacations and then that's never happening for the solo. But again, if you don't want to do that, it's nothing wrong being a solo at all. But it's just like, you know, you got to kind of get your mind made up on on what you really want to do, because yes. that's what's you know going to be cheering you on through these these crises of faith. <laughs> you know, one of my clients, we recently kind of had a breakthrough in terms of deciding the direction that he wants to go with the practice, where it was like all of these clues have been adding up over the last year, year and a half. And finally, we were able to set down and say, this is the type of work that we want to be doing. This is the type of person we want to be serving. And now we had explored a bunch of other practice or niches within a practice area over the last year and a half. Said, And now we're going to ditch all of the niches. This is the place that we're going. So it means abandoning a whole bunch of work in exchange for we've now found the mission that we want to serve that excites us that if you woke me up at 317 in the morning and said, you have to record a video on this. I go, great, go ahead and turn on the camera, but don't make the light so bright, right? It's you want to find that and you want to know the business model that you want. And it's okay to want a $300,000 practice, just as it's okay to want a $30 million practice, but you can't be a person who looks at the $30 million practice and goes, shame on them for being greedy and it's gross taking home all those millions of dollars, yada, yada. That was their mission that they chose. Because they may look at you in the $300,000 practice and go, miss the simplicity. But you made your choices. Relish in the place that you have created for yourself. And if you truly don't like it, you get to build your life. Go and build the new version of it. Yeah, as long as you're being honest with yourself and you're not getting your own BS in the way. But yes. um, that's awesome. And then uh, I think we'd be hard for us to get a higher point than that. Sure, so I might have to call it right here. But um, it's been awesome talking to you as always, man. What's the best way for people to uh, to get in your world? I would recommend going over to the podcast. They don't teach this in law school. It's on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, I'm sure a bunch of other places. But yeah, go and subscribe to They Don't Teach This in Law School. Uh, and then if you look up my name, Charlie, C-H-A-R-L-E-Y, man, M-A-N-N. If you follow me on the social platforms, I'll follow you back. I like to interact. I actually enjoyed interacting with people a lot more on those recently, kind of kept it a little bit more simple. So first and foremost, though, go subscribe to the podcast. If you like the stuff that Jan talks about and that we're talking about here, there's a lot more of it over there as well. Okay, awesome. And yeah, like I said, highly recommend I do listen to it every single week. I think that the perspective that you, you guys are talking about on that is out of the legal sphere, but with the legal lens, which I have not seen anywhere else, which I really, really appreciate but um thanks. all right guys well thanks for listening i'll see you guys all next tuesday at 8 a.m eastern on the law firm growth podcast thank you for listening to the law firm growth podcast for show notes free resources and more head on over to casefuel.com slash podcast looking forward to catching up on the next episode